Well, amen. Look at your neighbor, smile at him real big, say it sure is good to see you this morning. Some of y'all not going to do it, are you? Look around behind you and say, you sure do look good this morning. Yeah, good. It is good to be here. How many of y'all still have leftovers at your house from think? Yeah, we do too, amen. We got a house full of kids and they still seem like we can never get enough to get, eat it all, amen. But it was good. My wife does uh, uh, one of those, what's it called, Cajun injection thing, guess the, that jalapeno butter, y'all ever tried that? <sighs> Let's just dismiss and go to my house and have some more of it, what do you think? Anyway, it was a good Thanksgiving, and, and so I just want to continue that, and, uh, and just, uh, you know, Thanksgiving one of those that we don't really spend a lot of time with, amen? In fact, I know people that's already singing Christmas songs before Thanksgiving, some of y'all, well, amen, we're doing that. And uh, so I, I just want to spend a little bit of time uh, back on Thanksgiving before we get, you got four Sundays of Christmas, all right, so don't be offended. You're going to get all Christmas you want, but I just want to kind of continue that. I, I was thinking this past week about things that I'm thankful for. I don't know if y'all spend any time doing that, but uh, years ago, whenever we first went into evangelism, we went down to Panama City Beach, uh, Florida, and we were doing ministry down there. We were suffering for Jesus, amen, Pan anyway, and uh, we, were, we were coming back now uh, uh, late at night after a service, it's probably 10 o'clock, we were coming through the strip where all the stuff is, you know, all the eating joints and all that, and uh, I'll never forget my two older kids, they were about 11, 12 years old at the time, uh, they, my oldest boy, Tyler, he starts to, Daddy, Daddy, the light's on, the light's on, can we stop? And I thought, what in the world are you talking about? And apparently... I don't know if you've ever had a Krispy Kreme donut before, but apparently, and I didn't know this. Now, I'm just old dumb, dummy from Gina, amen. And, and the only Krispy Kreme donuts I'd ever received were when the school did a fundraiser and they sold them, they were like two days old and they were as hard as this thing when you got them. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? Y'all probably never did that. But anyway, that's, when I saw her Krispy Kreme, that's all I thought about. And so they said, Daddy, Daddy, the light's on, the light's on. We need to stop. I said, what are you talking about the light's on? Well, apparently at the Krispy Kreme donut shop, they have this big light in the window that says hot and fresh. And when that light is on, them bad boys are coming off the conveyor belt, fresh out of the grease or the oven or however they cook them. And whenever that light's on, you can eat them right out. I mean, they come right out of the glaze and you can put them right in your mouth. And he said they're the best when they're like that. He had eaten them somewhere, and he's telling us about it. Well, anyways, I said, no, 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 it's 10 o'clock at night. We don't need to stop. It's been a long day. We've been in revival. We need to get back to the, to the RV and get some sleep and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, the kid, no, daddy, daddy, please. Y'all know how kids do. Team up on your parents, right? And then, of course, my wife jumped. Well, you know, it wouldn't hurt us to do this. I said, okay, fine. I said, let's do this biblical. Now, if God wants us to stop and eat at Krispy Kreme Donuts, there will be a parking place right at the front of the door when we pull in. And do you know after we circled that place ten times, there was an empty spot right there? I'm just kidding. We didn't circle it. We did stop. And I'm going to tell you what. If you ever get a chance, and that light's on, baby, stop. We ate two dozen before we even got out the door. You hear what I'm saying? They melt in your mouth. Y'all want some Krispy Kreme now, don't you? 
Anyway, so there's a lot I'm thankful for, and so this morning we'll just kind of look at that. Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and while you're turning there, I can't remember how long it's been since I've been here. I know we did a revival here years ago. In fact, I think maybe uh, Broken Vessels or Tory Dardar and them were here. The kids had the band and all of that. I can't remember how long ago that's been. That's been at least four years ago, probably four or five years ago, something like that. I, I don't know. When you get old like me, time goes by. Anybody else have that problem? It starts rolling by pretty quick. Amen. And uh, so anyway, but I have some fond memories here, and it's good to see everybody. And let's get right into the Word so I don't keep you here till 2 o'clock. Is that all right? Now, Brother Will told me that I'm supposed to preach an hour and a half or don't even come. Is that right? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, let's look in verse 1. The Bible says this, <clears throat> And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power and the heir, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also you, we all had our convert, uh, conversation in times past in the lust of the, our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show uh, the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I pray, dear Lord Jesus, that you'll bless and anoint the preaching of your word for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the book of Ephesians is an interesting book. If you've never studied it before, you ought to. It's a good one. Amen. The book of Ephesians, Paul is the author here, and he's writing to the church of Ephesus. Now, the church of Ephesus had, was a good church, but they had some problems like all churches, right? Uh, th th I liken them to a good old Baptist church. They had some problems in the fact they were serving the Lord, they were doing some good things, but they had a couple little issues that kept them from doing all that God wanted them to do. And one of the problems that they had was is there were some divisions in the church. And, and the problem was you had this church of mixed uh, believers. You had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were trying to bring in some of their Greek culture into the church, which, of course, clashed greatly with the Jewish customs. Are you all still with me? Can you see now why I liken this to a Baptist church? Amen. We all come here with our own different little cultures and our own different little preferences and our own different little ideas, and we're supposed to somehow or another mesh together and serve the Lord Jesus. Amen. And so they were having trouble there doing that, and so Paul writes this letter to the book of Ephesus, or to the church of Ephesus, and says, here's the major problem that you got. And the major problem that they had was is that they were lacking unity in the church. And so Paul addresses this, and then he gives you three steps or three ways to combat this disunity. Now, I'm not here this morning trying to say that this church is not in unity. That's not for me to decide. Nobody called me and said, hey, man, I got all kind of issues there. Everybody's in their own little cliques and groups. Nobody did that to me. Amen? Are y'all with me? 
I'm just telling you that if you're going to be the New Testament church that God has called you to be, if you're going to be the, the body of Christ right here at Newton that God has called you to be, then we've got to be in unity. Now, now understand what I'm saying. Unity doesn't mean that we necessarily agree on everything. We can disagree and still be in unity. Did y'all know that? I know that's a kind of a wild concept to imagine, but you don't have to like everything I like for me and you to still be in unity, right? And the reason why is because in every church we got all kinds of people and all kinds of different preferences. You all like different stuff, right? I mean, not everybody likes, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts. Not everybody likes the same kind of music. Not everybody likes the same style of preaching. Not everybody likes... the. We can't even agree on what the temperature ought to be in a church. Are y'all hearing me? One day I'm going to write me a book that's called How the Pastor Went Insane Trying to Adjust the Thermostat. Because it's crazy. I mean, we everybody here likes it different. I mean, people... I mean, you've you got, you got skinny people and they want it warm. And then you got some... Not so skinny people, and they like it colder, right? We got we got some uh, uh, preg. Listen, if anybody, if it's a pregnant woman, oh my goodness, they, you might as well put it on 32 and walk away. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking. About? And then we got some men, older men. They they're on this blood thinner, right? And they freeze to death, you know, and they covered up. You, know, they can't handle the cold. And we just all different. And listen, and then you got some women that are going through that certain stage in life. They change every five minutes. And so what I'm trying to tell you is we all like different things. We all have different preferences. Not everybody likes the same music. Not everybody likes the same styles. But God calls us to be in unity. He calls us to be as one, to be one body of Christ for a lost world to see that we are together and what unifies us is Jesus, right? It's not that I like this and you like this, so therefore we can come together. No, it's Jesus and what he did in our lives. And that's what Paul says is missing in the church of Ephesus. And could I dare say it's probably missing in a lot of our churches today, this idea that we're not really in unity, that we're not one, that we're not striving and serving the same purpose that God calls us to serve. And so Paul right here in, in the book of Ephesus he says there are some things that we need to do to make sure that we're in unity. In fact, he gives us the formula to stay in unity or to get in unity. You ready? Now, I've only got three points, so this is only going to take as long as it takes y'all to get it. Right? So three points. Look at your neighbor say three points and we're out of here. Point number one, Paul says the way that we get in or stay, get in unity and stay in unity is to remember our past. Look at what he says in verses 1 through uh, uh, 3. He says here, and you, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein when time passes walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What Paul is saying here, what the Lord is telling us through Paul, is that one way that we get in unity is to remember where we came from. And what, what strikes me as odd is how we can become 
believers, we can get saved, get in church, live right, do the right things, and then after a while, we sometimes develop this attitude like we're better than other people. Now, I know nobody in here thinks that, but I've seen it happen before. Maybe you have too. Where you come in here and after a while, you know, you, you kind of doing, you kind of walking the right way, and all of a sudden somebody, you'll come in contact with somebody who's not living as good as you are, and instead of sharing Christ and helping them get delivered from all that the way you were delivered from it, we tend to get a little pious attitude about us and look down upon people like we're better than them. You know what that shows me if you have that kind of attitude? It shows me either, number one, you've never truly been saved. Because if you ever truly get saved, listen, you won't be able to look down on anybody. But if you are truly saved, it shows me that you've forgotten where God brought you from. You've forgotten what that you were once just like them. You've forgotten how you once were whenever you were lost and dying and headed to hell. You've forgotten what it was like whenever you were living for yourself, whenever, whenever you had all the guilt and the shame and all of that associated with that sin. You've forgotten what it was like to be down in that miry pit and to have Jesus reach down through the power of His saving grace and to pluck you out of that pit and set your feet on solid ground. You've forgotten what it's like to experience salvation in Jesus. Paul says the key, the first key to being in unity is to remember where he brought you from. Remember those things. You never gloat in those things. You're never proud of those things. Amen? In fact, you're very ashamed of how you acted. You're very ashamed of the ways that you thought. You're ashamed of how you lived your life for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and all of that. You're ashamed of all of that. But oh, how you're thankful that Jesus had mercy on you to save your soul and to redeem you from all of that. Every once in a while, I'll go back in my mind. I'll go back in my mind to the, night, the year 1994. 1994, I was a 25-year-old spry dude. I know I look old now, but at 1994, I was spry. I was young. And I thought it was all about religion. I was involved in the church. I was doing a lot of stuff in the church. And I thought it was all about religion. That was the key to happiness. That was the key to heaven. And then one night in a worship service, in a revival service, God showed me in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, that not everybody that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that calls me Lord is really, uh, I'm not really their Lord. And he says in those texts that there are going to be people stand before him that day, and they're going to say, hey, I preached in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I did miracles in your name. And Jesus will look at them and says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you and at that Thursday night revival service God revealed in my heart that I was simply a religious man I had never truly been born again I would never truly experienced salvation in Jesus and the next day I was sitting in Sonic drive-in waiting on a brown bag special at 11.07 a.m. on a Friday morning on 1994 whenever I bowed my head and I cried out to Jesus to save me to forgive me to change me and right there that day he did he saved me and he made me a new person and I've never forgotten 
where He brought me from. He brought me from an individual who was depending upon me going to church and my religious activity to get me to heaven, and then He saved me from all of that and changed my life and wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Or you see, I might have been religious on the outside. As far as everyone was concerned, I was a good old boy, but nobody knew everything I was doing in the darkness. Nobody knew about the things I was sneaking around so that my wife and others had no idea what I was doing. No one knew about the wickedness that I had done. Why? Because being in church taught me how to hide it real good. But that day in 1994, God redeemed me. God saved me. And He set me free from all of that. And every once in a while, I'll just go back in my mind And remember how I once was. And every time that I do, you know what it makes me do? It makes me thankful for what Jesus did in my life. And perhaps maybe today some of you just need to go back and remember where you once was and what Jesus has done for you and how He saved your soul and redeemed you. Because Paul says the key to unity is is in being thankful. And the first thing is you've got to be thankful for your past. Secondly, you need to be thankful for your present. Look at what the Bible says. It's in verses uh, 4 through 6. The Bible says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us up together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit in, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says here that not only are we to be thankful for where he brought us from, we need to be thankful for where we're at. I want you to understand that Paul is saying here, listen, you were once dead in your sins, but now you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You once were were in, in the crowd with Satan and all the demons, but now you're with Jesus and the heavenly host. He wants you to understand that if you have been saved, if you've been redeemed, you are no longer yourself. You've been bought with a price. You are a child of the King. Let that sit in with us this morning. We are not some nobodies. We are a somebody this morning all because of Jesus. Don't you understand, my dear friend? Don't let anybody ever tell you that you're a nobody, that you're good for nothing, that you're worthless. I don't care what they say on Snapchat or or Chit Chat or whatever chat you got. I don't care what they mammogram you or or Instagram you or whatever they gram you with. I don't care what they try to say about you. You understand, my dear friend, that as a child, of God, you are somebody. You've been bought with the price. God loves you. He redeemed you. And He has great plans for your life. In fact, the Bible says, listen to this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He even says that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You know what that means? That means whenever Jesus was taken by those soldiers and He was beaten and He was whipped and He was scourged, it means that whenever they took Him on that cross and they nailed Him to that cross, whenever Jesus Christ died on that cross, we were there. But it also means this. Whenever He died, whenever He physically breathed His last breath and they took His body down off that cross and they put Him in that tomb and they rolled that stone in front of that tomb, 
Three days later, that stone, that stone rolled away, and Jesus came forth. He rose from the dead. He rose out of that tomb alive. And I want you to know, remember, Jesus rose from the dead. We were there. And then the Bible says that a few days later that Jesus Christ ascended to the heavens. The Bible says in multiple locations that whenever He got to heaven, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And today the Bible declares that Jesus Christ is in the throne room of heaven with God the Father. And the Bible says in the text that we just read that God hath raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places. And even right now, on this Sunday morning in November 2023 that we are sitting in heavenly places with Jesus. That ought to get you a little excited, amen? To know that we are somebody. We are royalty. Listen, you may not have much down here, but I want you to know you have a Father who owns it all. Your bank account may not have much money in it, but your Father owns the cattle of a thousand hills. You may not have much down here, but you have a Father who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day, you'll receive it too. Because the Bible declares that we are joint heirs with Christ. Some of y'all not getting it. My two oldest children, I have, I have six children. Amen, I know. That's the reason I got gray hair. I got six kids. My oldest was 28. My youngest was nine. I'm still raising them. Amen. And uh, but I got two. My two oldest ones are both 28 years old, and they're not twins. My I have a old my oldest son, uh, and then the other 28 year old is my daughter Reagan. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but Reagan is adopted. We adopted Reagan. Reagan is my adopted daughter. Now I want you to hear something. In Louisiana, I can disown my son Tyler. I can disown all of my blood children. Are y'all hearing me what I'm saying now? I can disown, I can ride them out of the wheel and not leave them anything, not that they're going to get much. I could write them out of the wheel. They will never get one dime. They'll never own anything that I own. But in Louisiana, you cannot disown an adopted child. I, I, listen, I may want to write her out, but it don't matter. The law will not allow me. I'm adopted. She can never be cut off, never be removed from anything. She has every right to everything that I own as my adopted child. And don't you understand that as an adopted child, just... I want you to understand that Jesus says that we're adopted. We've been adopted into the family of God. And there is nothing that you can do. There is nothing that could cut you off. You are an adopted child for all of eternity. And all the things that the Father has are yours. Now I'm not here trying to preach some health wealth junk. Amen. Y'all know me better than that. But I want you to know that there are riches beyond wealth, amen, that you have access to as a child of God. And that is in the present. And we need to be thankful for it, amen? We ought to just take time to be thankful for all that God has done for us. Be thankful. And aren't you thankful that one day we will be together in heaven, amen? And we won't have to worry about all the junk we got going on down here. And the more I think about it, the more I'm excited about it. Amen? 
I, I, listen, do you know that in heaven there will be no separation by identification through denomination? Did y'all get that? In heaven there's not going to be any separation by identification through denomination. In other words, when you get to heaven, there's not going to be a Baptist section over here and a Pentecost section and an apostolic and a church of God and a church of Christ. And Are y'all still with me this morning? In fact, I doubt anybody even knows what denomination you're going to be when you get to heaven. you either saved by grace through Jesus Christ and faith in Him, or you ain't going to be there, honey. That's it. There are no separations. In fact, the Bible clearly makes it, say, uh, makes, it, makes it said that in heaven, there will only be assimilation by identification through salvation. There will only be assimilation by identification through salvation. And if you've never been saved, truly saved, truly born again by Jesus Christ, then you will not make it to heaven. But if you are, then you have something to be thankful for this morning. Amen? You can be thankful in the present. <clears throat> finally. Look at your neighbor and say, finally. Not only do we see that we need to be thankful for our past and thankful for our present, but thirdly, we need to be thankful for our prospect. Now look at here in verses 7 through 10. The Bible says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, prospect means an extensive view, the act of looking forward. It's a mental picture of something to come, uh, something that is to be expected. And I want you to know that as a child of God, we have some good prospects. We have something to look forward to. Now, not only do we have heaven to look forward to, amen, I'm thankful for that, but I want you to know that we have things to be thankful for that's going to happen right here on this earth. There are some good things that God promises that if we will be faithful and follow Him, that they will happen. Now, Brother Craig, are you trying to say I ain't never going to have any problems? Nope. In fact, I'm going to tell you just the opposite. As a child of God, you're probably going to have more problems than you had before you become a Christian. That's what the Bible teaches. In fact, Jesus says, the servant's no greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. I don't know why it surprises us whenever bad things happen to us. God told us it was going to. Amen. Are, are y'all still with me this morning? I want you, I, I'm telling you, as a child of God, bad things are going to happen. But I also tell you this. That no matter what you face and no matter how bad that thing is, the Bible declares that you've got a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. The Bible declares that he will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible declares that he will be with you and he will carry you through the most difficult pain that you've ever experienced. And as a result of you going through all of that, you can look forward and you can know what the Bible talks about, that as a result of going through bad things in your life, your faith will increase. You will grow closer to the Lord and you will be a more powerful witness for Jesus having gone through those things. 
I can tell you in my life, I've had some bad things happen. I'm not going to go into detail about everything, but I've had some pretty bad stuff happen to me, including the death of a child. And I want you to know I'm standing here as a testimony to the Lord that I would not be the man of faith that I am today. I would not be as close to the Lord today have I not been through all that I've been through in the past. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because as painful as that thing was that you went through, as bad as it hurt, I'm talking about I'm talking about pain where you get down on your knees and you don't even have the words to pray. All you can do is kneel there and weep. But now, looking back, after some time has passed, you can see that the hand of God, even in the middle of that pain, was working in your life for His glory and for your good. And Paul is saying you need to be thankful for what he's going to do. Even the bad stuff. Oh, that's crazy, isn't it? Can you be thankful for the bad stuff that's going to happen in your life? Well, Jesus was. Jesus knew the cross was coming. But many times he was thanking the Lord before he ever went to the cross about what he was going to do through the cross in redeeming people for salvation. And he says here, you not only have the prospect of knowing that God's going to work in your life, you don't even, not only have the prospect of looking forward to heaven one day, but here's another reason while we need to be busy serving the Lord and following His commandments. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but it said in verse 7 that in the ages to come, He might show His exceedingly exceeding riches of His grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Listen to me, folks. Do you understand that one of the reasons why we need to serve the Lord and be faithful to Him is because future generations depend upon our faithfulness right now? It's not all about heaven. I'm thankful for heaven. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful that one day when I die, I'll be there. But I want you to know, I want to live for Him now because future generations depend upon my faithfulness to Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Based upon your faithfulness to Jesus, what hope do future generations have in your family? What hope do future generations have in this community based upon your faithfulness to God? And if there's ever been a time whenever we need men and women to be faithful to Jesus, it's today. Amen? You think about all the craziness going in this world. Did you ever think that you'd ever live to see the day in the United States of America whenever everything was so backwards? Did you ever think that you'd grow up and see in the United States of America whenever we don't even know what a woman is? When we have elected officials, appointed people who can't even define a woman? Come on now. Amen. Y'all don't get quiet on me now. Y'all say amen in about heaven. Have you ever thought that we'd be to the point where, where the majority of the people in the United States of America are okay with abortion up to the birth of the child? 
Did you ever think in the United States of America that we would have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people marching in the streets of the United States of America for a terrorist group, Hamas, whose mission is to kill God's chosen people? Did you ever think that we'd be in a place in the United States of America when sexual immorality is to the point to where men are becoming women and women are becoming men whenever lesbian and homosexual lifestyle is just accepted and everybody does it whenever young people can't decide whether they're a boy or a girl or a man or a woman? Did you ever think you'd see where adultery is so rampant in the United States? Did you ever think that we would see the things that we're seeing in our country today? Listen, my dear friend, if there has ever, ever, ever been a time when the men and women of God need to rise up and follow the Word of God and live the Word of God and be faithful to the Word of God, it is today because future generations are dependent upon us. And if we fail, we fail our children and our grandchildren and grandchildren that we will not even know. So it says, if you really want unity in your church, then you need to stop. And you need to be thankful for your past, thankful for your present, and thankful for your future. I've had a lot of memorable Thanksgivings. I, uh, uh, Whenever I was growing up, uh, my mama's parents, my grandparents, uh, lived in Caldwell Parish. Now, I live in LaSalle Parish. Caldwell Parish is the parish north of LaSalle. And, uh, and every Thanksgiving uh, morning we'd get up, and my mom would spend all morning cooking. And then she'd load everything up in the car, right, all the covered dishes and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then all, all of us would get in the car, and the kids would sleep on the back windowsill. <laughs> True story, amen. And we'd, we'd make the, you know, the... 45-minute hour drive north out to the hills of Cobble Parish where my grandparents lived. And we would, uh, all the family would come in, all the siblings. There was about seven or eight siblings of my grandparents, and all of them would come in, all their children. There's probably 40, 50 people there at that little bitty house. I'll never forget it. And, uh, and, uh, and for the first couple of hours, everybody sat around, visit and catch up, find out everything's going on in everybody's life. And then the meal would happen. Amen. The big meal, and everybody get full as a tick, right? And I mean, just get stuffed. And then after we got through eating, everybody settled down a little bit, we'd walk out to the porch. And, and, and all of my family were musicians. So we'd have about four or five guitars. We had a bass fiddle. Y'all know what I'm talking about, a, a bass, upright bass. Uh, we had a banjo player. We had a fiddle player. And we had a mandolin player. And we would sit there for about two or three hours and do nothing but play them old-time, old-timey gospel songs. And all my family could sing. And so there'd be 40 of us out there, and everybody knew their parts. And the young people are going, parts? What are you talking about? And, and it was just beautiful. And I'll, those were precious memories. And, I, and one of my most memorable first Thanksgivings, right? One of my most memorable Thanksgivings was the year that I learned to play the guitar. And I got to bring my guitar and sit there, and I joined the men folk. Playing, I only knew three chords, but I did the best I could to keep up with them. That was a memorable Thanksgiving. But as I end this message, I want to tell you about my most memorable Thanksgiving ever. You ready? It was Christmas Eve, 19, uh, 2009. 
Wait a minute, Brother Craig, you said Thanksgiving. That's right. I'm telling you, my most memorable Thanksgiving was Christmas Eve 2009. In 2009, we entered, my family, we entered into full-time evangelism. Uh, I had worked a full-time job. All of my adult life, I had plenty of money. I had a good-paying job, had lots of money, and every Christmas, we lavished our kids with presents. I'm telling you, I'm admitting to you right now, we went overboard with it. We did too much. Or y'all, some of y'all have been there. You know exactly what I... We gave them too much. It was too much stuff. Every Christmas Eve, we would always sit around in a circle in the living room, and you know, we'd distribute the presents. You know, And everybody sat there, and they had a pile of presents by each in the circle there. Everybody had a pile of presents. And I can remember the presents, so many presents, we couldn't even see the kids. They'd be back behind a present somewhere with their pile of presents. And every Christmas, we just poured Christmas Eve when we did Christmas. We'd have Bible study, we'd pray, and then we'd distribute the presents, then we'd open up the presents, right? And man, I, I tell you, I, every Christmas Eve, tons of presents. Why? I was making plenty of money, uh, and, and we had the money, and so we would just get it. We wanted them to have it. We'd tell them, make your list out. They'd always put on expensive stuff and some not, and we'd buy them everything. We just, we went overboard. 2009, in May of 2009, we went into full-time evangelism, which means that I left that good-paying job. I told my wife, whenever I surrendered to full-time evangelism, I told my wife, I said, baby, I just want to let you know that I believe that I've heard from the Lord and reading His Word. I believe God has spoken to me and He's shown me that He is going to teach us how to live by faith this first year. What does that mean? It means that I was used to having all the money that I wanted, all the money that I needed. I never had to learn how to live by faith when it comes to finances. But I knew God was about to teach me the lesson on living by faith. I said, so hang on, baby, this may be a rough year. And sure enough, it was. It was the worst year that I can ever remember financially. I'm telling you, folks, uh, there were many, many weeks when we had nothing. When we barely had enough to pay bills. And there were many times, I don't have time to tell you how many times, where we were short $200 for a light bill and somebody would just miraculously drive by and hand us $200 saying, God just said, come give you $200. One year we were behind a month on or a couple months on our house payment. And the bank called and said, hey, y'all need to catch up on this house payment. I said, God, I don't have the money to catch up on this house payment. And a guy who I didn't even know pulled up to my house one day and said, I don't know why, but God just told me to come give you this check. And he gave me the check for $1,200. So I want you to understand something. I don't want you to feel sorry for me for, for 2009 because God took care of us. But I'm telling you, it was hard because I was learning how to walk by faith. I was learning how to simply trust God for everything that I had. I'd never been in that position before. Then Christmas rolls around. Christmas Eve is there. We do like we always did. We distributed the presents. And I sat there and on the couch as the kids were all 
in the semicircle there, and I was getting ready to do the little Bible study. And I looked up, and I saw my children sitting there, and all we could afford to get them that year for Christmas was one small gift each. Now, for a dad who was used to pouring out presents to my children, that was a painful sight to see. And I sat there and I looked around, and I just began to cry. I just began to weep right there as I thought about how much I loved my kids and I didn't even have enough money to buy them but just one little present. And I'm sitting there weeping. And I'll never forget my kids got up from their spots and they came and they gathered around their daddy. And Reagan, my adopted daughter, said, Daddy, we don't need gifts. We're just thankful that God put us in a home where we are loved and where Jesus is Lord. And that was my favorite Thanksgiving of all time. Because God showed me that it's not about presence, it's not about wealth, it's not about material things. It's about giving Him thanks no matter what you have or what you don't have. So this morning what I would like for us to do is I'd like to end this service maybe just a little different than the way you normally end it. First of all, I'll tell you this. I'm going to pray here in just a minute, and after I pray, we're going to have some music, and that's going to start our invitation time. And I'm going to go stand right down here in the front, and if you're here this morning and you have never truly been born again, you've never truly been saved, maybe you heard my testimony just then, and you think to yourself, I've never, that's never happened to me. And you want that to happen, you come see me during this invitation. And I'll be happy to take the Word of God and help you experience real salvation in Jesus this morning. But here's the second part of this invitation, and it's for those of us who are believers. I want us to take a moment and thank God. I'm going to ask you to do something a little uncomfortable for you. I'm going to ask for you, if you would, to come and kneel at these altars. I'm going to ask for you to come with your families. And maybe for the first time ever, pray over your families. Pray over your wife. Pray, pray over your children, your grandchildren. And thank God for all that He's done. It might be that you need to repent of some sin, maybe something God's convicted you of. Whatever it is, let's just obey God. But can we spend, before we rush into Christmas, can we finish out this Thanksgiving week the way I believe that would honor God?
And that's by simply kneeling at these altars and thanking Him for our past, our present, and our future. Lord Jesus, I thank You so much for all that You have done. I thank You for salvation. I thank You for even the tragedies that have occurred in our lives that have gotten us to where we are today. And I pray that as we end this service, this will be a time when every person here will really pause and thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.